This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Today, Pastor Matt takes us to times before Israel was a nation. God's design all along is that the image bearers shine his light to the nations. Hello everyone, this is Pastor Matt Grimm. I'm here with Thad Keenel, and we are presenting the Planted Podcast once again. What's going on today, Thad? Oh, lots of good things. First of all, here we are in the middle of November and it's uh, sunny and 60 outside. So, yeah, I mean, we don't have to talk about the weather, but I'm excited about it. <laughs> Stretch out the golf season for me. <laughs> Whenever we get this in Michigan, you see people with smiles on their faces. Yeah. The gray has been delayed a little one day longer and, and uh, you, you don't have to wear a coat. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's very neat as we head into the, you know, that I think that's a good thing about the Christmas season because you got the lights to cheer you up, but otherwise yeah. the skies are gray here in Michigan right. and, and whatnot. But otherwise I think Michigan's probably the best state in the union because <laughs> it's got all the, the seasons and the, and the water play and all the things that we like to do. And if you have to, you can escape to right from the winter to go to the nice weather. That's right. But anyway, here we are. We've been talking about Israel and some of the roots Therein of the the name change from Jacob from last time, and we looked at the second account mm-hmm. of his name change last time, which was really interesting. Um, a lot of circumstances around that name change, aren't right. there? Yeah, yeah. It's the dynamic of of one the relationship between Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and just seeing that they went a lot of the same places. We see the land kind of theme being established in there, but then you also have with Jacob in particular, which I think you could see the same thing with Abraham and Isaac, but just this, this, the wrestling with God and man, they all did that to some degree. And especially, but just with, with Jacob, the striving between with Esau and then, then Laban and, and then even, um, uh, you know, the, uh, set, the, the problem they had with Dinah and, and, and they're in Shechem and, and everything. And so we just see a lot of that, um, God's hand, on him through all this, and we can't really, you know, say, "Oh, Jacob was this great guy, and that's why God chose him, or he did all the things right," you know. But what he did is he he held on to God. He and he really did. Um, in some senses, is that a an idea of his faith in God? But even in this last week, in terms of the, we looked at the the putting away of the gods uh, from that, and it may. I was thinking as I listened to the episode. Uh, from last week again, and in that, I was wondering, did they bring gods with them from Paden Harem, or I wonder, was it part of the booty of the um, defeat of Shechem and his people? You know, so often, even setting up for when they go in and take possession of the land, there's all these laws and rules about when they would, would defeat a people, you know, and you had the you know, the devoting things to the ban and things like that. Is this a setup for that? Did did in essence, you know, when um, Levi and uh, Simeon killed, did they did they take the booty from the people they killed, right, yeah. and with that was their gods and these earrings and things, and they kept them for themselves, and then that's how they got the gods back in their household again. Yeah, it you know? very easy could be, and the uh, the repeating factor with humans, you know, we could say God's people, but really with anybody, is when they get into a community. 
is they start to assimilate mm-hmm. into that culture, right? right. And um, and even if it begins with a, a godly group, the tendency is to stray because we, we right. You know, we we resist in our flesh. We want to serve ourselves, and we think if there's a different nation that's serving a God that seems attractive, you know, maybe we should try that one too. Yeah. And um, but yet, there's this one true God that continues to be faithful to a, to his his particular people. Right. And here we see him pull Jacob out of that mess again and say, "I'm going to show you who the true God is." Right. And so. Let's move on, and that's yeah. what we're going to see is a continued theme throughout the scriptures. Yeah, we we continue to see that loyalty issue of God's desire, the same loyalty He's giving to them, He wants in return, and so having other gods or things like that goes against that loyalty. And the the other thing it does it 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 doesn't just um, affect our worship; it also affects our identity because because we as image bearers of God um, are to reflect Him, and our whole life is to be devoted to Him, and and, and that actually. Um, is is part of of our identity, and when we change that allegiance, we lose our identity uh, from what it was intended mm-hmm. to be, too. Right. You know, and I think if we if we happen to get back to to Adam and Eve today, we, you know that <laughs> that'll come up a little bit. But before we get there, I do want to um, just think of, just mention again a little bit why we chose this. We you know we've been talking about. Wanting to understand who Israel is and getting into the history and then and the name and how it was developed and all that, but part of it is because even today we, you know, there's a lot of perceptions about who Israel is and and um, a lot of even Bible teachings about that 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 there can be quite a bit of disparity within that, um, and so we we want to know, you know, what does it mean? Even like when I think. Who is Israel in Jesus' day? You know, is a big thing as we we read the Gospels and things like that. And so, um, you know, in order to get us back to Abraham a little bit, you had mentioned this one account that was very interesting uh, because it ties Abraham and Isaac and Jacob together as kind of one people, you know, of Israel. And it's very interesting how Jesus responds to this in his interaction with a Gentile. Uh, so one of the things that we hope to get to in future podcasts is what's the relationship between the Gentiles and Israel mm-hmm. um, and, and the whole mission of God to restore all things. And, and we get a little – so I just want to give a little tease today, you know, to, to keep, keep you listening and want you to – because we might take a little while to get fully there. But just a little preview here in this one account in Matthew chapter 8. And so it's the story of, of Jesus uh, and the centurion – um, and uh, basically healing the slave or servant of the centurion. And so um, wh- why don't you read it for us? It would be, I think, Matthew 8, starting in verse 5, and just read through uh, verse 13. Okay, and I'll read from the Legacy Standard Bible version. And it says in verse 5, And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not good enough for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this. And he does it. Verse 10. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, 
Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, and it shall be done as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. All right. So here we have a sign of, of Jesus, you know, as um, he, he deals, he overcomes uh, sickness, uh, and he shows himself to be, you know, the Son of God, the Messiah in this way, as he does in these things. But as he interacts with this centurion, he, it says, he is astonished. Um, so what astonishes Jesus? The faith of the centurion. The faith of the centurion. And the fact that he's not a um, descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. <laughs> right. He says, I've, in all, I've found faith with no one in Israel. Now, what question I have right here. Um, do you think he's talking about the land of the of Israel or the people of Israel? He would be talking about the people of Israel. I think so. Um, it's interesting. I, I want to do a study of this sometime. But in in the New Testament, how much is Israel referred to as land, and how much of it is just is talking about the people? Because often when he goes to a region, like he says, he entered Capernaum. Right. Or he goes to Samaria, or he goes to Galilee, or he goes to Judea. Yeah, and those are very important context clues to what, right. what's going on because the people right. have different culture and, and yeah. Whatnot, yeah. But but it never says that. Maybe it's because all of those are contained within Israel. But one of the questions I have is that you know Israel after seven twenty two really didn't exist anymore BC. In the sense of a, 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 a unified nation within a territory, right? Uh, and so it's like, right. it, so, you know, the, the Israel, often it, I think it's often referred to as people, but if you want to talk about points of within the land, it's called other things. Yeah, and it's all under Roman authority, you know, at this at right. this, at this yeah. juncture. And we're dealing with a Roman centurion. Yeah. And a centurion, just so you may not know at home, is that he's a person or a leader over 100. Exactly. Right, a yeah. So he, he's, a, he's an army, we could say, captain of 100 right. people or whatever. Right. Or, you know. So he has authority, and so he knows how authority yeah, works. exactly. And the amazing thing is that he he must have heard or seen something that Jesus was doing to want to go to Jesus right. and say, you know, here's yeah. here's the situation, right. and I trust you and your word, yeah. which is crazy. If any of our listeners are watchers of the Chosen, I don't know if you've ever watched. Have you watched any of the Chosen? That I haven't. No. Okay. Well, in there, I think there's a character in the Chosen who is a Roman soldier who is who has a position of authority, and I don't, I haven't seen a, the part yet where maybe this healing takes place if they've even done it yet. I think there's been three seasons at this point that we're recording this, but um, I think that they're setting up this dude, and so they they kind of have a whole you know backstory for him, and you know so much of it's fiction in the right. sense, but it's all based on what could be possible based on the scriptures, yeah. and so they've been setting this guy up, and he's been watching, and he's been seeing, he's been aware of Jesus, and his his kind of 
his the prefect over him or whatever the 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 government official who's like in charge of him has been telling him to keep an eye on him and in the in the storyline he actually is like he had become friends with with Levi the tax collector or Matthew you know the tax collector uh, because um he was the he was like one of the guards who guarded his booth <laughs> within, the, <laughs> gotcha. within the fiction of the story right. but it's interesting i think they're playing on this whole thing is that that he had it's very likely you know this guy knew about Jesus had been had was in that territory and 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 the word's getting out when word gets out and crowds start gathering and things like that the romans get a little bit itchy right and so it's very likely that that he knew he had been following Jesus in some way not necessarily as a a deep devoted listener maybe he was but he was definitely aware and heard the stories that this guy was doing some great things well the other thing that comes into play here and we don't have to go down this too far is that um as a Roman soldier, he probably doesn't know anything about the prophecies of the Messiah. Right. You know, he probably doesn't. He may have heard of it or whatever, but he is going by faith in the things that he has seen right. or heard Jesus do, right. right? And and so to respond to that is a true act of faith, and faith is just another word for belief. So he believes that Jesus has authority to do these things. And at one point, Jesus is talking about to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he's like, if if you're not going to believe the things I say, at least believe the miracles. Yeah, you know. And yeah. so these are people that should be um, expecting, you know, the Messiah to show up with these things being done, right. and they're not. Why? Because they're prideful people, right? And so it just shows that faith comes, but it comes to people um, indiscriminately. I don't yeah. know if that's the right word, but. You know, well, as as God, as, as God, God, as God, <laughs> as God chooses, and, exactly. Right, yeah. So, so, so he has not found this in in anyone in Israel, okay? Like with the faith that he's seen here, and then there's this really curious verse that says, "I say to you that many will come from east and west and be seated at the banquet mm-hmm. with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven." And so we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob associated with the kingdom. Of heaven, which that's the God is the the ruler of that heaven where He dwells. We see the relationship between humanity and the kingdom of heaven. That they, there was an, an intention by God that they dwell together. Okay, mm-hmm. and the banquet is is a sign of them uh, sitting down and having fellowship with one another and so forth. And there's a, you know, prophecy there will be a great banquet at the end, you know, sure. The marriage uh, um, supper. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so we see that. So if they're coming from the East and the West, they're cut. We would take that, especially in, in light of a centurion doing this. These are people outside of the people of Israel, right? That are joining. So Jesus recognizes there's a joining in of the Gentiles. Yeah, and the reason that that's a good way to to put that, even even though it's saying east and west, and we could say, well, maybe that's only going to the Jordan all the way out to to the Mediterranean Sea, if you said that. But you know, when they describe the extent of Israel, they always say from Dan to Beersheba, Bathsheba, mm-hmm. which is north to south, right? You know, and he's going east to west, which east to west doesn't stop. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so it is. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's so it's a all inclusive, right? It, right? It's an all in, all inclusive term. And then it says, interestingly, I would say even more interesting mm. than that. Yeah. Let me is, hit you with another hammer. 12. Exactly. Right. You think that's interesting? He says, the sons of the kingdom, and I'm assuming that kingdom to be the kingdom of Israel, uh, 
will be thrown out into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so, hold on, what's going on here? So people who, the peop, some of the people of Israel, Israel, sons of that kingdom, aren't going to be at this banquet. Right. They're going to be thrown in the outer darkness. Yeah. Well, again, you know, when you're dealing with people that are the, in the Jewish culture, um, they start with Abraham, right? They're the, they're right. the seed of Abraham. And so the, the kingdom is the elect people of God, which is Israel in their minds, right? right? And so this is a another indication because um, it, it talks about the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that's particularly the, the kingdom that they're talking about. But so the sons of the kingdom would be, like you said, not necessarily the kingdom of God, but in, but in these people's minds, that kingdom that belongs as Israel, right? right. Of, and they, of, would see, uh, they would see themselves as the kingdom of God. Right. Or the kingdom of Yahweh or, right. or whatever. But that, yeah, but that would be those right there, the, the people that Jesus had came to. Right, but he I think came that, to these sons exactly. of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I just think I want to make a distinguishing factor for us that we are indeed not saying that these are the sons of the kingdom of God in the salvific sense and being cast out because that would be an interpretation then of somebody maybe being right. saved and then losing their salvation for, no. for whatever particular reason. So it's the kingdom that comes from the seed of Abraham, correct. Isaac, and Jacob. Right. Okay. Uh, which is a way to describe Israel. It's one way to look at Israel. Right. right. Um, or, and then it was split into Israel and Judah. Right. But, but that would be the case. So, um, and that's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be, we should be gnashing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, I'm not going to go directly there, but while we're here, I just want to take note of this language of thrown into the outer darkness. Mm. So that's exile language, right? Right, Being cast out. Um, and we might do some more work on this later, but the, you know, we see that that would bring into the idea of like exile of Israel and Judah that you know they were cast out of the land. You have um, exile language or casting out language in in the Torah in terms of uh, people who were not fit to be within the camp either because of um, sin or even just ritual impurity. Right, they're yeah, cast out right. if you have leprosy or that time of the month for a woman or um, you know any bodily discharges or blood. You have to be cast outside the camp. And then go through some ritual purity and being able to come back in, you know. So there's there's just this this being cast out is 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 basically not in the presence of God. So in in the, in the, in the camp, that's where God lives. It says He walks among them, He dwells with them, He He lives within the tabernacle, right? If you're in the camp, you're in the presence of God. If you're cast out of the camp, you're not able to be in the presence of God. So there's a big thing about God's presence. It's the same thing with eating at the banquet. You're in God's presence. If you're cast out, you're not in His presence. Yeah, uh, maybe a little bit of a clarifying um, question for me that would be helpful to those that are listening. You mentioned being unclean, touching mm-hmm. dead things and bodily discharges and stuff like that, but that's not necessarily a sinful thing in that, in that aspect, no. right? They're just outside of the camp because of God's holiness. And so, so maybe explain that a little bit versus like this casting out here. This casting out def- has to definitely do with their rebellion and, and, and lack of right. uh, devotion uh, rec- really, it's it's rec- it's not recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what's casting them out because <laughs> right, okay. here's God in their presence, and they're 
they're not submitting to him. They're not acting in faith like the centurion is. Right. But uh, but the whole ritual thing that's symbolic of the sinful condition of the world. It's symbolic of death. Mm-hmm. Symbolic of which is the penalty for sin. Right. The wages right. of sin is death. You know, so anything in their mind that was representative of death, which blood and these bodily discharges or leprosy or things like that, um, in the ancient years from that that was representative of deathly things. And death can't be in the presence of life, <laughs> yeah. right? In that sense, it will get judged, right. you know, which would actually lead to death. So what was what was wrong was being ritually impure near the near God. Uh, that's what was that what was sinful. The, the actual condition wasn't because there was a means to deal with it. You stand outside the camp for seven days, you wash yourself, and you're you're welcome back in. Right. So it wasn't anything sinful, but it was but it, but it stood for that, and it it's pointed to the holiness of God, His awesome greatness. You know, it's not that it's, it's not that God can't be in the presence of sin. It wasn't dangerous for God that there were right. there. It was dangerous for the people because He says, "I will consume you." He says, <laughs> I'll, "I'll consume if you don't do these things. I will consume yeah, you." Yeah, this defines whole, His holiness. Doesn't yeah. It? yeah, so it just talks to His greatness. So, but but it, again, it, it has to do with this casting out becomes important because it even goes all the way back to the garden. Right, uh, and so we'll, we'll we'll try to get there. But what we need to take note of is that even the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are able to be cast out, and and we 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 see that throughout the Old Testament that 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 is there. So just because you're a son of Abraham doesn't mean that you have eternal security, right? Is right. what we see here, and that's going to be a topic that we're going to cover. Yeah, in and, the episodes and, ahead. Yes, as we'll get to that, but. What's it, what's really interesting about this passage, which gets us where we want to go, is we have here in the New Testament the linking of Abraham, Isaac, and Japheth with the people of God. Mm-hmm. So we see that that mindset carries on into the New Testament, which takes us back to the Old Testament, because we said last week that we wanted to get to Abraham from Jacob. So we looked at Jacob, who became named Israel. We saw those promises, and especially that within the renaming of the second time, um, in Genesis 35, I think, is where he, he talks about the promises of he, the, the command to be fruitful and multiply, but then the promise of, of, of just becoming a, uh, out of his loins will come kings and kingdoms, you know, and the, the, there's going to be this, um, the land and the promise and the nations and all those kind of things. Yeah. That, that now, come was, that, there. was that the, the blessings of Jacob over um, the sons of Joseph? No. No, so in thirty five, it's just when he's re, it's the renaming again there at. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Uh, so before, and it says right, right. Uh, before the crossing of the hands. Then. Yeah, so I it gotcha. says, "Be fruitful, multiply, a nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to the offspring after you." So that's the, that's that. And so we said from there, let's. So this all started with Abraham, right? We noticed just briefly. In previous episodes, that Isaac had done similar things, but but it starts with Abraham. And so, what's the what's God doing with Abraham and his family? Right? What's what's the point of all this? Kind of becomes the question. And so, if we go back and just quickly look at the call of Abraham in in Genesis twelve, uh, starting in verse one, it said, "Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you.' So there's the land." Um, and I will make you a great nation, 
and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all the families of the earth, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right. So so it starts there, and then later down in verse 7, it, that, that I'm going to show you the land, but in verse 7 he says, to your offspring I will give this land. So we, we even see that there's the promise of that mm-hmm. there. Uh, but I want to jump back and say, okay, what's why Abram? What you know? So we see the blessing is here, and these things that Jacob he's starting. There's this um, franchise that we might say that starts with Abraham, <laughs> that that through in his descendants that that he's going to bless him, make his name great, and the nations of the world are going to be blessed through him, and and and, and he's going to start with this land and and all that stuff. So we'll we'll start to unpack that more and more as we come. But uh, God, God had basically starts with someone. Well, the question is, why Abraham? Why does he have to start there? So we need to back up a little bit even from Abraham to get there. So if we jump up in, in the end of chapter 11, we have the descendants of Terah. And Abraham's a descendant of Terah. Okay? And it's, it's Terah who they decide to move from the Ur of Chaldeans you know, to Haran, which is interesting because that's also the name of one of his brothers who who dies. And right. You wonder, did they name that place after him? You know, and so forth. But um, so Abraham comes from Terah. Well, where does Terah come from? Well, if we go back up and trace, and we're not going to read all these names, but basically we trace Terah's line all the way up to Shem in verse 10 of chapter 11. These are generations of Shem. Well, who's Shem? Shem is no one of Noah's sons. One of Noah's three sons, right? And so um, we're going to get to Noah in a minute, but to get to him, we need to say, is there anything significant about why Shem? Well, Shem in Hebrew means name, or it could also be translated as renown, like because often the name it's your renown, or we could even you know say how we're known is by our name, and our name carries with it like the our reputation and, and things like that. That's where we get the word renown. Like, mm. So, you know, what, what's the Kenal family like? There's a certain reputation that comes with the Kenal family based on... Just maybe, don't tell anybody. Yeah, based <laughs> on maybe how you live, but that's why you want your son to live a certain way. Right. It bears your name, right. you know, to reflect good on it. And maybe your dad told you how he wanted you to live because it bears on that name and all that kind of stuff. Right. Well, it's very interesting that he chooses this line because... The story before the generations of Shem is the story of the Tower of Babel. And at the Tower of Babel, we see the rebellion of the people who exist after the, uh, the, after the flood, after Noah, right? Mm-hmm. And they've, they've come together, and they've decided um, to, that they build for themselves a city and a tower. This is verse 4, um, with its top in the heavens— Okay. Now, a lot of commentators would say what they're doing is they're trying to build a tower up to heaven so that so they could invite God to come down and dwell with them, right? So they're trying to get back to God dwelling with them, but they're, why are they doing it? Well, they're not doing it to worship God. It says, let us make a name for ourselves. And it says, lest we be dispersed over the earth. So, so they don't want to be fruitful and multiply over the earth and take God's name to the earth. They want to just kind of hoard it and make a name for themselves right hear. there in their right. city, right? Mm-hmm. Um but what's interesting is, is they want to make, make a name for themselves, and God, in response to that, says, no, I'm going to make Abram's name great. 
and he comes from the line of name or the nine line of renown. Wow. <laughs> so, so in some senses, he's reversing this, and he's like, uh, and how is he making? He's making Abram's name great because he's associating himself with Abram. Okay, which is which is very interesting that God is taking a people for Himself and saying they're mine. Which um, we're not going to take time today to do that. But if you go to Deuteronomy thirty-two, we have an account of this where God is basically handing the nations over to these other small g gods, these other Elohim, and and He's distributing them according to them. Because what happens in the judgment of Babel? He confused their languages and he disperses them over all the right, earth, yeah. right? Because they're not doing their job, but he does it. But he says, but I'm going to take an inheritance for myself. In Deuteronomy 32, he says, and this, my inheritance is going to be Jacob. He actually <laughs> uses the word Jacob there. We might look at that later on, but I want to. I want us to get back to the flood, that we, you know, which this comes out of. Mm-hmm. So if we trace Shem back to Noah, why did God need Noah? So we understand why he starts with Shem because of the whole name thing, right? God's making a is saying, oh, "I'm going to make people's names great. It's going to be me." Okay, but why? Why you know? What's Noah have to do? Well, Noah is part of the recreation story after the flood. Okay, so Shem being the son of Noah, Noah was someone who was viewed as blameless in God's eyes, okay? Not that he never sinned, but he was fully devoted to God, right. okay, to Yahweh. Um, well, why, does, what's, why did God bring the flood? Well, that takes us back to Genesis 6, okay? And Genesis 6 is the story of this really strange story of the sons of God and the daughters of men, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so... That again, we have the sons of Elohim. It, it, that, that's that word again. Uh, that is likely small g gods, which you know often those gods, the spiritual beings, attach themselves to human rulers, and some type, people just take them as humans. But many theologians, commentators would say, and uh, and this was the view of much of the Second Temple language, Second Temple literature of Jesus' day as well, that these were actual spiritual beings who come down and cross over their realm, and, and they rebel against God and are enticed to want to be to rule in the human realm, and so they da- marry daughters of men and reproduce and things like that. Right. It might be worth saying that the, the sons of God, the Hebrew, and you already mentioned the Elohim as, as the mm-hmm. small G God, um, but the the phrase is Beneho Elohim, which mm-hmm. is sons of God. Right. And if you're consistent in using that as a direct creation of God, it almost always refers to angels, hmm. right? But in the New Testament, it's interesting that we in the Gospel of John or in First John, we have the I think it's John chapter one, but we have we have the right, because of what God's graced upon us, to become Beneho Elohim, the sons of God, which is a direct creation of God. So the angels were directly created of God. We are sons of Adam at first, right? Mm-hmm. But when we're born again, that's a new creation that takes place. So we right. are now the sons of God. Right. And so if we're consistent with that, um, that'll help our right. Old Testament language as well. Right. And people like Michael 
Heiser. Heiser has been the one that kind of has taught at least me right. how to read that yeah. consistently throughout yeah. because many and many reformed people as well. And it's, you know, there's two different strong views on this would say that the sons of God are, are, can also mean um, just judges and kings, or, or kings and yeah, stuff like right. that. And that, it doesn't fit the, the form if you're consistent. So um, at least in, so you have to kind of pick a side yeah. and, and, and if you, you, if you, you want to be gracious. In well, this. yeah, and, and there's legitimate, there's legitimate disagreement over that. I, I tend to lean to this too. If you want to do some of your own research of that, the Michael Heiser's book is called Unseen Realm. If you want the more layperson version of that, it's called Supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't an original idea of Heiser. He's, no. he's a Hebrew scholar and he, and if you want to, all the references get the Unseen Realm because he has tons of footnotes and he shows you that all his research and that he's, you know, this is not anything new for him. He just kind of popularized it in the last, you know, probably 10 years in terms of getting it out there again. Right. But if you want to, if you want to listen to it on audible, get supernatural. Get supernatural (laughs) because the audible version of, of unseen realm actually reads you every footnote, every footnote, which Which I did. I've done it twice. It's, it's, it's still, it's great, but you have to kind of be a a fool for Um, that type of stuff. But anyway, uh, why bring all this up? Well, we're tracing back why Abraham, uh, why Abram, and, and all of this because what that what that Genesis six do is talking about another rebellion, just like we had rebellion at the Tower of Babel with this the, the nation or the people the, the the group of people there this corporate rebellion. We ha- we have a a rebellion of the spiritual beings um, in Genesis six, which which leads to which impacts all of humanity and. Um, and we see just the corruption of the improper dwelling of the heavenly realm with the, with the earthly realm, okay? Uh, and so, which, which causes the world to be this, uh, in the, which defiles the land, right? And God looks down and says, man, this, you know, he looks at men, mankind now and says, um, gosh, it, there's, there's just evil per- perpetuating itself on the earth. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to destroy it and start over, but he finds Noah who's blameless and does that, right? Right. So, um, but before that, there was another fall, which which we saw, which traces mankind and uh, through the line of Cain, that, that even leads to that point as well, which you can even trace that even into the evil that's around the earth too, because right. of Lamech and all the things that are going on. You know, on. it goes all the way back really to Adam and Eve, doesn't it? Right. With the, you know, with the fall. So we have the first fall. We in have Genesis the very first three. fall. And the, and the prognosis is between two seeds, right? The seed of the woman, which is a right. contrast in terms, and then the seed of the serpent. And what, what we see throughout all of scripture is that those who are, in covenant with God and righteous because of his mercy and grace upon right. them is is the seed of the woman. They're in they're right. in his lineage, right? And that all happens as people um throughout all of history are adopted into the family of God because originally we're all seeds of the serpent. We're sons of Satan until we're saved. Well right? after after the fall. After the fall. Right. Which which brings us to Genesis one and two. So before Genesis three, before the fall, before we have that Thing there in Genesis one and two, we have these two accounts of God creating. Okay, and you and I would agree there. We we see them as harmonious and complementary. They're not describing two, you know, different legends or whatever. Right. right. They're 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 together helping us see that God in Genesis one is creating a cosmic temple that all the universe 
is 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 created in such a way that he would want to rule over and dwell um, with a people that he created as the apex, the final creation in Genesis and uh, in, in day six is is mankind who's set up as his image bearers, and and so there the image an image bearer is worship type language because. What would ancient Near Easterners do when they would build a temple? What would be the very last thing they would set up in the temple would be the idol or the image of the God. And the image was there to represent the God, speak for the God. It was and, and help help mediate the worship of that God, right? Mm-hmm. And in essence, when mankind being the final thing, and he, and he finally declares everything very good, he says, um, uh, I've created you in my image and the image of God I've created you. Um, that and you're to be fruitful. He blesses them, and he says. Be, and we talked about this last episode about be fruitful and multiply, right? Mm-hmm. And so and fill the earth. And so the glory of God through humans is is to fill the earth. So so this is this is. And then in in Genesis chapter two, we have this region within the wilderness that's that's Eden. And then within that Eden, he plants a garden. And then within that garden, he has a tree. And so we have the same model of of even like the tabernacle that's that's within the camp and then we have the holy of holies within that where God dwells represented the tree so again more temple language and Adam and Eve are to work and keep the garden which is the same language he uses of levites uh, for the tabernacle right. and the temple there to work and keep so so you have you have all this worship language that is designed for God to dwell with his people even in Genesis 3 we see that he walks with the people Right. Just like in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, in the camp, he walks among them in the camp. Yeah. So, so God's design all along was that there would be an a, um, overlap and a continually growing overlap of heaven and earth where God dwells with the people. Um, and we see that at Genesis 3, where that is halted, it stopped, that and what does he do? He casts, he kicks them out of the garden. He casts them into the outer darkness right. or the wilderness, right? Um, he covers them first with animal skins, yeah. you know, where we see some of his mercy and blessing in that. But, he, but they, um, for their own protection, they're cast out of his presence. And and but he, but in doing so, he gives a promise, which relates back to what you were talking about about these two seeds. What does he promise the woman? He promises that this, her seed will crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent will nick the, the heel of her seed, right? Mm, right. And so, um, which we know to be the proto-evangelium, the kind of the first gospel, this is the promise of everything that's to come. And it's out of this that the seed happens. And then we have the story of these people, and all throughout Genesis, we have these are the generations of following that. We have these are the generations of these are the generations of so it's tracing a gene- genealogy and it, and all along it's kind of asking the question is this the seed is this one the seed is this the one that's going to crush the serpent's head right and and all along so we have that theme going through we have the the, the theme of the the God restoring humanity back into a relationship with Himself He's going to restore Himself as the God who we worship. And he's going to restore himself as the one who makes men great and, and their name great and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And so we see the reversal of these kind of three bad things that happen in Genesis 1 through 11 <laughs> right. that God's establishing. And what Abram is, he's the start of that. 
And so we're even, is Abram the seed? Well, no, is Isaac. Is Isaac the problem? They probably, Isaac, you know, and there's this whole big thing with Abram and Sarah, and, and she's barren, and this miraculous birth of Isaac, you know, but yet he's not the one. And then is Jacob the one? Well, Jacob's not the one either, but out of him, and we'll get there maybe in, a, in, in next week, um, we'll see how this blessing is going to go through his descendants. But all this, why do we? Why are we doing all this backstory for Israel? Is the question. Well, if we don't understand all this context, okay, and we don't understand what's God doing with His people, that this call of Abraham and this blessing, it all has to do with God's original purposes in creation, and we see in these rebellions are always rebelling against that purpose. It's against God's created order. It's against God's plan to dwell with His people. Um, where he's the he's the king, and in and, and his goodness and mercy is going through all this, right? And so, um, if we lose sight of that, then I think we can start to distort who Israel's supposed to be, and we can lo- and we can make some things in terms of what God is using to fulfill His plan, and make them bigger than they are. Things like the land. And the name, mm-hmm. and all those, and and um, how this blessing's occurring, is that we can we can lose we can't lose sight of the big picture, and to know the big picture, we have to go all the way back to the beginning, right? And we see that in that there are all these hints of what God's doing in terms of calling of Abraham and having an inheritance for him and his people, and making his name great. That's a reversal of of everything that goes back even to Genesis. Three in that rebellion that's that's there. Yeah, it, it is. It's God is so consistent with His imagery and His themes that even in the beginning of creation, you mentioned um, being cast out from mm-hmm. the camp of God, right? That's like the same imagery of going from being in the light and being cast out to outer outer darkness, right? Right. And we see that in the very beginning of the creation, you no, know, after He creates light is that he separates <laughs> light the light from the darkness, <laughs> exactly. right? And so it's it's so consistent throughout the scriptures. And and that that's why having just even a general knowledge right. of these themes in the Old Testament will help the entirety of our Bible study in, in, in the New Testament, right? right? Understanding that this that God's been consistent all along. I always get, you know, frustrated if I hear people say that they'd much prefer, you know, the the gracious God of the New Testament compared to the God of the Old Testament. It's like, no, he's the same gracious God. You know, it's the same, it's the same story. He's continually saving people right. from themselves and from the evil one. And uh people just keep acting in rebellion and it's no different um today. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so if we if we you know tie this back into the Matthew eight um mm-hmm. story. It's really interesting that right before this, he cleanses a leper. <laughs> right. Um, where, you know, just a little thing that it's very interesting that, you know, if in the Old Testament mindset, if you were to touch someone who's defiled or something that is that it would be transferred to you, right? But mm-hmm. Jesus has no t- trouble touching these people because they, it can't transfer to him because he's life <laughs> and death, death death has no hold on him right. which we'll see um, but but back to this uh, you know where he says the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness back to the outer darkness 
in that place will be weeping and gnashing in teeth. Why? Well, the fundamental reason there is because you're out of God's presence. Right. You, you can't be in the light. And it's not just that, you know, I think I used to think a lot of, of hell in, or, you know, as as mostly, well, that's going to place a fire and brimstone and punishment and, and disparity, and it's just going to be miserable. Well, it is. But why? It's not just because of, like, the, the idea of physical pain and emotional loss or all those things. It's because God's not there in one's his presence, you know. I mean, God's the God of everything. He's, he's everywhere, you know, right? But, but the point is, is that he, he's removed his presence, and there's no blessing. Right. There's no life there. In essence, right, and and that, that that blows my mind. I can't even figure out what that's like. But the point is, is that the gnashing, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, is because there's no access to God. Right, and if they're, you know, if they are, they very easily could be in the presence of God under condemnation. So all that they feel and see is the Holy One, and and that they aren't, mm-hmm. you know. And so, what else are you going to do? You're gonna you're gonna Weep and gnash in, in sorrow. It's gonna. It's kind of weird because there's some of this um, evilness that people kind of describes this in Revelation. They don't repent, even though that they know that they're being judged. They don't repent, right? right. Some people feel sorry, but it's only because they've been caught for the crimes they've done. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's what true repentance is. We we recognize our sin, and we recognize because God has opened our eyes to see our shortcomings, and that they are only worthy to be judged. Mm-hmm. Right. But he, when he does that, when he gives us new life in in the awakening of our of our heart, turning our heart of stone to heart of flesh, has not only given us life, but an understanding that that we're not holy and we're we're deserving of condemnation. But mm. that um, that's why we're eternally grateful for the life that he gives to us because we know that it's nothing of us, right? Right. Yeah. And, and 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 all of that the the story of the centurion here that what he Jesus is commending him for his faith. All right. And so we see that um, that there's something about the dynamic of this belief, this faith, this trust that is there. And in verse 13, he says to the centurion, "Go as you've believed; it will be done for you." Um. That the healing comes through the faith. And the witness of God's people testify to His name and His greatness. Getting back to, getting back to Abraham in that way, in, in the story of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The design all along was that the image bearers would image God. Right. And even so, what happens? The question to ask is. What happens when the ethnic sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob aren't witness aren't witnesses to Yahweh? Yeah, well, they they get cast out. Yeah, yeah. And so I think what I'd like to do is, with that in mind, next week let's go to the kind of the the birth of the nation of Israel. In Exodus 19. Mm-hmm. Now, we could, we could go back to them, you know, becoming a great nation in terms of numbers. That That's in Exodus 1. We see that, you know, the, the time between Joseph and we get there. But uh, in Exodus 19, there's this agreement, you know, in becoming the people of God. Right. And so in there, you kind of have the birth of a nation. 
Right. Okay. And and so uh, now eventually we're going to get back to the end of Genesis and this whole how the end of Jacob's life and and this, how how he passes on this blessing and some of these promises and stuff. I want to I want to get back to that. But first I kind of want to get because this week we talked about the creation and fall accounts. And what we're going to see in Exodus, we're going to see a creation fall account in in, in Exodus. We have the creation of the, the nation and covenant relationship with God in Exodus 19. And then we have these laws and things given in the covenant kind of instructions on how to be his people, which we'll talk some about. But then in Exodus 32, <laughs> we have them breaking that. And it's kind of the fall it's a it's another fall account. It's another fall right? and, and and so and a, and a particular judgment. You know, that they can right. enter into the land. And it's interesting that what God does, what he, you know, he says he's going to do, now he actually relents because he's gracious in that. So we'll get into that next week. Okay. We'll get into that next week because I think it, it continues to speak to this theme of what he's doing with his people. Right. And you, if you, you can't divorce God's purposes for the people from his promises for the people because his promises are all exist to accomplish this redemptive purpose, mm. um, and if we if we if we if we cut those things apart, then I think we're not really understanding the promises right. Yeah, and it it, it goes on. So you have this. We I, I always call it the eternal covenant, but it's really the covenant of redemption that takes place before the creation of people. Um, and I lost my train of thought for a second. But at as we as we see. Out all of the biblical history is that God, in that covenant of redemption, which is a, a to give a particular people as a love gift, really to the Son of whom the Son is going to redeem. Right, that's what it is. And we and we read that account in the high priestly prayer of John seventeen, mm-hmm. right? But that stretches out through all of all of history, and God, as these people are rebellious and being cast out. He he's the one that has to be gracious and reserve a remnant. Yeah, you know, and so we see that that remnant is the same as those whom he's calling unto himself and and, and protecting through these times. And sometimes judgments take place in the form of being cast out into outer darkness, uh, just in form of a temporary judgment, like Moses couldn't enter the Holy Land. Right. But we wouldn't say that he lost his salvation in that event. No. Right. So there's 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 different forms and types and. Yeah. Of judgments as well, right? And so you always have to be careful how you're reading, right? In context of what the yeah, and we in in part of that context is always knowing where are we in redemptive history, mm-hmm. um, because uh, and we'll get to this later. And that we, I, I would say in the New Testament when it talks about the last days, I would say we're in them, and we've been in them since the resurrection. Right, but he does talk about a last day. There is still a a final thing, and so we always in our eschatology when we talk about things here on the podcast, we always use the words "already not yet." You know, as I think that's the best way to define my techno, uh, uh, my eschatology. It's not by my view on the millennium. It's not my view on you know any particulars of things. It's it's really um, inauguration and consummation. And there's an already things that there's so much of that that is. Already there, and in anything that I can see in Jesus, who is, by the way, the you know, spoiler alert, he's the promised seed, right? <laughs> who comes out of Israel, right. uh, which we'll get there. But the point is, is then, then so much is already that we sometimes don't recognize. There is still a not yet, 
you know, and, and right. so we get we we need to understand what's happening there. But the point is, is that if if we don't see the already for what it is, um, then we can lose sight or we diminish God's eternal covenant plan that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Because that covenant was between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And it, it would be that the Son would come and do what he did. Right. right? Yeah, no. And if we, if we cut short some of the things that he's already done in Christ— then we're not really preaching the gospel as we should. No, and we're going to miss out on blessings in this life you know, right. for resisting that covenant life that we're called to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so good. So we kind of got ahead of ourselves some today. I think we but... did pretty good. All in all, when we when we started off, I'm like, where is Pastor taking us today? <laughs> you know. So I think did it make some sense? It, it did, and I think it. Um, I think what it did is it tied up um, some of the stuff that we've talked about in the previous episodes, yeah, you know, because uh, we were in a little microcosm and today it got a little more broad. And every time you expand, mm-hmm. you, you see that same plan of God being executed. Right. right. And as you do that, it, it all has to do with his God, with his people, which we see, you know, what's Jesus, you know, named Emmanuel, you know, God with us. I mean, so it's this, it's this whole thing that we have to, if we keep, we can never separate the God with us thing. But the one of the questions we have to ask all along is, how does God live with us? Mm. If if I just say, "Oh, God's with everyone," is that really true? You know, just but we see here, even with our story of the centurion servant, is that just because you're a son of the kingdom of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I was, you know, by just purely by ethnic seed, that doesn't mean necessarily, you know, that you're not going to be cast <sighs> into outer darkness, right? So. We'll get that when we get to Galatians and Romans and some of those passages, but the point is is that we need to continue to find our terms and continue to know its place, those terms within the context they're given, and what's the whole story. Right. Uh, so, so so what do you see for, for next time? Yeah, I, I want to I wanna look at the relationship of Exodus 19 and 32 okay. and, and what happens in that whole story. And then out of that, maybe we'll get back to... Um, we'll 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 get back to God's plans and purposes of being with His people. Uh, with that, I also want to get to. I, it's also important that we get back to to Jacob at some point, and maybe we'll get there from Romans. I don't know. We'll see. But I want I want to get back to Jacob because it's very interesting what happens with um with Jacob's descendants. Yeah, right. His 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 twelve sons become very important in all yeah, this. Yeah, so maybe we'll get into a little bit of the of yeah. Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Maybe maybe we should start there before we go to Exodus. I don't know. We'll talk about it. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> see you next time. Have all a right. great day everybody. Yeah. Bye. Next time we will explore how Jacob passes on the blessings of God to his people, the people of promise. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.